0: Jess, Trey, Amy, Quinn, Ray, Leah, Maddie, Ray, Lily, Charlie, Faye, M, Bryce, Daniella, Elena, Marshall. Hey everyone, it's Ash and Liz and you're talking with my Puzzle Pieces.
1: Hey guys, so today is going to be a little different episode in kind of a whole bunch of ways really. We have gone through now and introduced you to everybody in the system, including the shades, which are the fragmented parts. And so now we thought we would turn to talking about some topics that we think are just sort of relevant or informative, um, before we continue further in talking about like lived experience specifically, I guess. So I don't have like a one person who's going to be here with me tonight, um, or even necessarily specific people. So tonight you get Ash the Collective. Say hello again, Ash the Collective. Hello. (laughs) They don't actually talk (laughs) like that. (laughs) I just thought it would be fun. But they are fun. Um, So you may hear changes in their voice, depending on which person's talking a little bit more, or they may sound like Ash the whole time. Um, But you'll get kind of a glimpse of what interacting with them as a collective looks like, I think, tonight.
0: Like if you met us out in the world, how we might seem.
1: Yes, yes. It's like a real normal human.
0: Well, a, and a real normal and weird human.
1: Well, you're odd, but you just are odd. Like nobody. Yes, would that's know what I that. mean.
0: Like not people odd. We're just like our, our collective whole is. Even if we didn't have people, I think we'd still be a little different, and that's okay.
1: Oh. So today, what we thought we would talk a little bit about is what exactly is DID. And then if we have time, talk a little bit about PTSD. So DID stands for Dissociative Identity Disorder. PTSD stands for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder.
0: So DID is what people used to refer to as Multiple Personality Disorder.
1: Mm -hmm. So like if you've heard of like Sybil, back then it was called Multiple Personality. Or
0: if you've seen the recent split, that's a... very misconstrued but popular presentation of multiple personalities Mm
1: -hmm. and i do think there were some parts of that show that movie that were positive in the way they portrayed the ability for a person to seem so different Mm -hmm. without anything really changing about them yeah um but well we could do a whole episode on all of our thoughts on that so
0: but yes for it is no, no longer multiple personalities. It's a dissociative identity disorder.
1: And I think the reason for that change is that the people, you know, the people who make these decisions felt like it was a more accurate description of what the disorder is. So the idea being that they are dissociated, dissociated it's hard, identities. They're not that you actually have multiple separate humans living in your body the way it would be if, like, I moved into Ash's body, but that they are dissociated parts of yourself that function more or less independently.
0: Yeah, and part of the going away from that also was that it's not multiple personalities that's necessarily the... No, not necessarily. It's not multiple personalities that makes it a disorder. It's the dissociative part um, and the identities being separate from each other that causes more of the disorder piece than the fact that you actually have separate people.
1: Mm -hmm. And at some point, probably not today, we'll talk more about that and about the different ways that people can view that as you move through treatment. But so we thought we would start with just talking about what the actual diagnostic criteria are for DID. So this is from the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. So that's if you went to a therapist or a psychiatrist or psychologist this is sort of their Bible of diagnosis.
0: Yes, it's the fancy thing they have to refer to for insurance to pay for your mental health. Helps decide how it's like when you, you go to a doctor and they say, like, you broke your arm. It It's basically like the mental health version of that.
1: Yep. And so for each disorder identified in the book, there are criteria that you have to meet in order to qualify for the disorder. And there, this is in its fifth. More than fifth though, because fifth, there was like but there was for text
0: revision and because there was the third, and then I think there was the third TR, and there was the fourth, the TR, fourth TR for text revision. So um,
1: something like the sixth version,
0: minimum of five.
1: And they've um, been—it's been sort of changing. Like it was really tiny when it started, and then it's gotten bigger, and things have been added and taken out, and,
0: and it's ginormous now.
1: Yes, and and it is, and it's it's based most. It, it is based on research and mm-hmm. based on sort of what the best scientific minds think is important about a disorder in order to really, like, encapsulate it into a, a list of criteria. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, nobody perfectly fits ever. It's just do they more or less fit the required Uh, number of criteria for you to make the diagnosis
0: like when you have the flu and not everyone has the exact same Mm -hmm. symptoms like some people get a runny nose some people get a stuffy nose some Mm -hmm. people have a fever some people don't some people get chills um so it's like it's like when you go to the doctor and it's like here's my symptoms like what best fits Mm -hmm. it's really the same thing but on a mental health so there's depression there's anxiety there's adhd just like those are maybe some more common ones Mm -hmm. and there's different things that you would most likely present with if you had one of those
1: disorders. Mm -hmm. And to make it even more complicated, children often present differently than adults. And the book is written more for adults. It's really not geared towards children. And I think one of the areas that the DSM needs to continue to grow is in really understanding the differences between adults and children and how you apply those diagnoses to children. And I think DID is one of those areas where when I've worked with teens, I guess the youngest patient I've had with DID has been a middle teen, I think, when I met them. Um, it, is, it is different than with an adult. It feels different. Some of the things are still more growing and shaping at mm-hmm. that age, much more than they are by adulthood. And so we're going to give you the, the criteria that the DSM has, and then we'll kind of walk through and talk about sort of what the different things are or what thoughts or experiences we have with that. So I'm the one holding the the list, so I'm going to read them to you. So you have to have the following things. You have to have two or more distinct identities or personality states, each with its own relatively enduring pattern of perceiving, relating to, and thinking about the environment and self. That's a lot of big words. It's not even a lot of big words
0: necessarily. It's just very wordy
1: and and abstract. Yes. Do you do we want to go through all the criteria first and then come back, or do we want to just tackle them each as we go?
0: Maybe tackle them as we go because I feel like others we're going to get lost. That's what I was
1: thinking too. So do you want to put that into different words?
0: So that's like when you you meet our body and Trey says, "Hey, I'm Trey and um." Like, I'm a lot about faith, and I view the world as a protector. And then Amy comes out, and I just really love people, and I like the world, and I want everyone to be happy, and I care about people.
1: So, yes, those would be two different distinct um, identities or personalities. And in that example, Amy and Trey both do have a enduring pattern of relating to the world. And so when I'm like, when I'm working with somebody and I'm trying to assess what's going on and when they start presenting as having different people, um, I like it's always this balance of like, this is very possibly true. And I'm looking for the evidence to support that. Right. So I'm looking for, if you say your name is Joe, that the next time I meet with Joe, that you're going to have some similar mannerisms, that you're going to have some similar ways of speaking, that if you tell me you're a child part, that probably your vocabulary or your word choices are probably going to reflect a more childlike idea of the world. And that's going to be true across time and situation. And the thing to remember about that is that's only if they're fully presenting as themselves, or they're willing to let you see them as themselves, because they all also have the ability to present, or most of them, as the identified sort of front of the body. But they have to exist in there somewhere in order for you to... Yeah, to so I, I think
0: be. the point is when you get more into it and people are willing to come out as themselves, that every time Amy's out, she pretty much, like... She's Amy. She's Amy, and you know you're talking to Amy, and the way she talks about things is, like, she does view the world from a more, like, positive, childlike place, whereas, like, Jess views it from a often from a more, like...
1: Cynical, Cynical, teen, (laughs) sarcastic
0: place. And Trey definitely views it from a more faith-based, like, he wants to protect the people around him, just in a different way than other people in the system. And so, and that's almost, I mean, that's pretty much every time you talk to them, you'll get that sense. Like, they don't, they're very consistent Mm -hmm. every time you meet with them.
1: Yep. And, And this isn't something you can, like, encapsulate in the DSM but it feels different to be with them. So that was one of the first things that I've learned um, and I think have developed across time is the ability to sort of feel who I'm with as I get to know a system. And sometimes even to feel when there's more than one part out and be able to kind of identify. Um, Ash used to sometimes do that to me. Like, who do you think you're talking to? And I would, we would play a game and I, I got pretty good at it. I'm actually worse at it now in some ways than I was then because the boundaries are so much less sharp between people. It's much more fluid and that makes that game harder. Um, But so it feels different to be in the room with different, the different energy of the different parts.
0: Yeah. I think when different people come out, you can almost feel like a shift Mm -hmm. in um, just the atmosphere and the energy that that person is giving off. And I remember like, we're a lot more fluid now, but particularly in the beginning, like, when Ray and Maddie were out, um, like, the energy in the room would feel heavy. They would suck it right out. And of people around them would physically feel more tired. Mm-hmm. And the next person that came out in our body would physically feel more tired because they take a lot of energy mm-hmm. when they're struggling more. And so y- you can just feel that. Yep. Yep. And like when I pop out,
1: (laughs) then it's all of the energy. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming. (laughs) Okay, so criteria two. Amnesia must occur, defined as gaps in the recall of everyday events, important personal information, and or traumatic events. Means you have to not be able to remember some stuff. I think one of the
0: big misconceptions is depending on the level of dissociation and dysfunction. Um, sometimes there, I have found often in reading and in interaction and personal experience, there tends to be one or a few people that do have knowledge of kind of everything that's mm-hmm. going on. And that's often why the body appears fairly functional mm-hmm. But when you're able to isolate and talk to individual people, they often won't have memory of things. And I think personally the the big one is traumatic events. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely have suffered from flashbacks and struggled with trauma. Um, but before we really started working on that, when you talk to especially like our littler people or people who hold, trauma from when we were younger recalling traumatic events is extremely difficult
1: Mm -hmm. and I think too this is a place where like sometimes they'll just have like more childhood missing than makes sense so like I could go through and name every single teacher from you know kindergarten through high school Well, maybe not high school because you start having more, but, you know, elementary school at least. And sometimes when I work with patients, they can't name one or they can't remember a single birthday or things that like a normal in quotes. Right. Child would probably have memory of. They just don't. And I'll say like
0: one of one of ours that I would you would think we would have a memory of that we don't is. So my parents didn't get married until we were seven. Mm -hmm. And I have no memory of that day. And seven is an old enough age where for that significant of a life event, I should remember my parents getting married. And it's not just like you, Jess.
1: It's It's the whole system. The whole
0: system. Nobody remembers that day. And it's not like it's fuzzy or I remember parts of it. Like I literally... It doesn't exist. Doesn't Even looking at pictures, I can't remember it at all. And so but there's other things around that time I can remember. Mm -hmm. So there's just, there's gaps in things, or I will remember, like, I can remember a lot of information, but I can't, like, I can tell you on my fourth birthday, I had a Beauty and the Beast cake and I was wearing a green shirt. I can't tell you anything else about the day. And we have a lot of memories like that, where we can tell you like a very isolated event
1: well, and a lot of, like, factual information. Yeah.
0: Like, we can tell you, like, factual stuff about our life that we need to know, but describing, like, a memory or an event, it, it's just like it doesn't exist.
1: Mm-hmm. And often, especially the
0: emotions connected to that event.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So, this next one, I think, is a really important one that gets um, looked over. The person must be distressed by the disorder or have trouble functioning in one or more major life areas because of the disorder. So this is what makes it a disorder instead of just having dissociated identities. The fact that it's a disorder is because it's interfering with your functioning or your otherwise with your mental health, with you being able to feel good about life.
0: Yes. And so for us, I, I'm not sure right now we would necessarily qualify for dissociative identity disorder.
1: I would agree. My experience with you is that you no longer meet that criteria. And that's not to say there might be a time in life where something would happen and it would become an issue enough to meet criteria again. But it's it's like, I'm trying to think of a comparison because it's not like you're in remission exactly because that implies that like... I don't know. I don't like how that implies, but it's sort of like that, I guess, mm-hmm. where like, it could kind of flare back up as a problem, but right now it's not. And I think you've done a lot of work to get to that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I think of it as depression. Mm-hmm. Like you
0: can be depressed and everyone can struggle with that on a different level. And often more significant, like bouts of depression can be triggered by a life event. Mm-hmm. Or if you've been depressed before, something challenging may make you it's more likely that you would be depressed in the future. So we've definitely had times where we've struggled more in certain areas. And I think the big part is the distress. Um, I would say now, like, our social relationships aren't perfect and we still have a lot of struggles in those, but our distress over it isn't because we can't remember who our friends are or because one person is friends with this group of people and another person in our body is friends with another group. So we're bouncing around to six different friend groups because we can't really settle with what kind of friends we want to have, which is, I think, definitely a problem we had. Really middle school, high school, I mean, actually, I think I'm thinking back to even grade school. Really, for most of our life, we have struggled with keeping friendships because of dissociative symptoms. Mm -hmm. Not
1: remembering time we spent with friends, not remembering a fight, Or like when Bray would come out weeks later to tell someone off about a fight they had Yeah, holding on
0: to a fight because you don't really know how much time has passed. Where, like for some people, it feels like the fight happened yesterday because
1: they've been inside, but really it's been weeks. Or being really triggered by something but not knowing why you were triggered and then not being able to verbalize that to the other person to be able Mm -hmm. to work through it.
0: Um, Or like one person being triggered so they don't want to hang out with certain people, but other people like that person... Um, and I would say now, like we still definitely have to work at our friendships and, um, but the, the different identities don't hinder the relationship. Yeah. Like we're able to all relate to people and find people that we find safe, that we can all have a relationship with. So we're not really distressed about that. Like we used to be.
1: And you even created a friend group not all that know each other but you have a group of humans who know you guys as yourselves who yeah. are listening to this podcast knowing that knowing we have knowing who you are versus all of you in podcast land who don't know anything other than what we're
0: sharing yeah so who know who knew us before they knew we had different pieces who've been able to listen and learn about our different pieces and recognize them and have been able to still maintain a friendship and talk with us and talk to different pieces if we want to, or still relate to us as a collective without drastically changing our friendship. And I think that has been a big piece is to find understanding friends. Cause unfortunately there's just
1: some people who can't mm-hmm. handle it or won't. Or think they can. And then like realize it's a lot and freeze or run away. Mm-hmm. And I, a shout out to your friends that you have told because I can think of two in particular that responded so well and with so much love and like, this makes a lot of sense based on what I knew about you, you know, in the past and I love you and I want to know more. And that's those, those are the kind of friends you want. Yeah. They've been incredible.
0: And even like
1: newer friends that you've made that you've told, they have also just really embraced that
0: idea of, I think it's really helped us to grow and to feel like, more confident in our people, which mm-hmm. has helped it be less distressing.
1: I agree. Um,
0: and that has significantly changed. I mean, we used to, like, we had to hide our people, and I think that made it more of a disorder because
1: we didn't want our people communicating, and that mm-hmm. brought challenges. Um, when you had to censor, like, a little person and how they would communicate something versus now Amy can pop out and tell one of your friends something, as Amy, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And I would say for me, because I knew you pre coming out I guess. <laughs> um, and and obviously now, and our relationship wasn't as close before, like we, we weren't as good of friends, but for me, I don't think I could have been as close with the you I knew initially mm-hmm. because you were, you were messier in a lot of ways. Like. Your emotions were more all over the place. You were less able to manage when you did have like intrusive thoughts or flashbacks. I didn't know how to help you. Um, And now, and and I feel like our relationship was less reciprocal at that time too. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think you've become so much more functional and such a better friend as I've gotten to know sort of each person and then being able to relate to you guys as a collective because the, the collective human that presents is a very complete person and not that you aren't complete otherwise, but you're just more three-dimensional. You're Mm -hmm. more well-rounded when several of you are kind of out together. So we kind of went off on, we did some tangents there, but the basic
0: premise of that point is that specifically the fact that you have different people is causing dysfunction in One or more areas of your life. So the fact that you have um, different people is making it so you can't function in school or is making it so you can't manage um, like stress or you can't manage relationships or care. Yeah. You can't like brush your teeth and get dressed and do the things you're supposed to do every day. And not because you're depressed, not because you have PTSD, not because you have anxiety, um, but because of the dissociative part.
1: Yep. And that's why I don't think it's going to happen today now because we've been talking about this for a long time. But at some point, we're going to talk about PTSD versus DID because I think I would say PTSD, you still have and it still impacts you. But that's a different thing than DID. And so I don't think all clinicians realize it, um, that like just because someone has DID doesn't mean that that's the reason or had DID doesn't mean that that's the reason they're necessarily in your office Mm -hmm. or the thing that they actively need to work on. Now I think you guys still in therapy talk about things as it relates to different parts, Mm -hmm. but the focus of your therapy now is no longer on the fact that you can't function in an area. Yeah. It's
0: not about, and I do think a lot of, I mean, initially with DID and I would say when I first met you, we definitely had Did. DID for sure. Um, I think we were pretty far, we were farther along in our process of learning to communicate and and function, but our pieces didn't all communicate. People would get what we call stuck out where they couldn't get back in um, and things were really messy and um, people couldn't be out and functioning. And it was really a challenge like
1: suicidality was a lot higher.
0: Yeah. Like we were much more suicidal and it was because our pieces couldn't communicate and couldn't manage and help each other. And when we figured out how to do that, all of that significantly decreased. And now it's a lot more of the day-to-day stressors and um, like our trauma history Mm -hmm. and our social relationships and how those have changed now that we've admitted, we have people, those are the things we focus on in therapy it's mm-hmm. not how do we communicate with each other how do we identify every like people how do we make sure they're getting what they need we know how to do that as a system it's it's the outside things and there might be like a piece that's struggling with being more depressed and so that's what we talk about in therapy but it's not the dissociative piece
1: that's that's the issue mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to move on to number four. The disturbance is not part of a normal cultural or religious practice. So there are some cultures or religions that do things like speak in tongues that believe in some form of possession during a religious ceremony. This is not that. This is not um, the, like, person doing a seance who is saying that your dead relative is communicating through them. This is not... like
0: a medium or in some, like... Um, like in other cultures where they feel like you can feel the presence of like another person with you, like an Mm -hmm. ancestor
1: or something. It's, it's not that. It's not that. And it's not where some of the more, I don't want to say this story that's offensive, like indigenous religions where there's part of sometimes a ceremony that involves sort of what they call like religious ecstasy or where you're, um, you are like speaking for some sort of a spirit, whether it's an ancestor mm. or a demon or anything. This is also not that. Now, that's not to say people can't believe that one of their parts is a demon. That has happened. But it's different than that. It's different than it being a part of their religious system. Mm-hmm. And generally, when it's a part of your religious system, it's not distressing. Yeah. Because it's what you believe is normal in your, in your culture or your mm-hmm. viewpoint. And then the last one is the symptoms cannot be due to the direct physiological effects of a substance, such as blackouts or chaotic behavior during alcohol intoxication or a general medical condition, such as complex partial seizures.
0: So you can't be taking LSD and hallucinating and thinking you have like five different people and then that's the only time you have different people.
1: Or the the um, amnesia can't be because you were so intoxicated that you blacked out because... That's not DID, that's just poor decision making.
0: <laughs> Which sometimes go hand in hand, I'll tell you.
1: They do sometimes. And like
0: we've all made poor decisions. So whatever. And I will say, like, w- we have struggled with substance use on and off. And um, there are times where there was like a gap in someone's memory because we were out partying mm-hmm. um, and not from just dis- mm-hmm. dissociating. But there's plenty of dissociating that has caused gaps in our memory. And it's not solely. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you can't have both. Mm-hmm. It's just your blackouts or amnesia or gaps in memory can't solely be, be because of substance mm-hmm.
1: use. Yep. Yeah. I had a thought about that while you were talking and I, I
0: don't
1: know what I talked it right out. Of you, you did. You talked it right out. Oh, I was thinking that you were talking about like that you've had times where you've like essentially had blackouts because of substance use. And I was thinking how much, like you guys have all, all of the normal life experiences, you do all the things and have done all the things the rest of us do. It's just, there's the extra complicating factor of these other symptoms that just adds another layer of, I don't know what mess, joy, complexity, something, all the things. Yeah. So those are the criteria, you guys. So if someone doesn't meet all of those criteria, there is another diagnosis. Um, I think it's DDNOS.
0: Yeah. Dissociative disorder, not otherwise specified. So it's basically like there's some level of dissociation that's causing problems. Um, It's just not clear if it's like, full-blown dissociative identity disorder,
1: And I think often people sort of start there where, like, a clinician's like, you meet a lot of the criteria, but I don't know if you actually have separate people because I haven't talked to them yet. I haven't interacted with them. Or you haven't really clearly expressed that to me. I can think of some patients I've worked with that – in the beginning would have probably met criteria for nos and then as i got to know them more i started meeting other parts and it's like oh yep i was right my gut was right on this Mm -hmm. and there are some people that will never quite meet criteria because they have enough parts that are co-conscious that they don't have a significant amount of amnesia or because they i'm trying to think of what other things because that they don't by the time they they maybe would have gotten diagnosed, it's not impairing their functioning anymore. Because actually, by the time you started going to therapy for DID-related stuff or sought out a DID-specializing therapist, you probably barely met criteria. Yeah, I think by the time I actually found
0: a therapist who understands and actually works with DID and in a competent manner mm-hmm. um, and truly understands it, the dissociation, the dissociative identities made different personalities weren't causing a lot of my problems. What really actually wasn't why I went to see her. I went to see her for other things I was struggling with, um, but I just wanted to see someone who also understood um, dissociative identities and how that could play a role in the things I was currently struggling with.
1: So you guys, we just had to take a pause because like the way our recording works, it only wants to do 30 minutes at a time. So we paused and while it was like doing its processing thing, whatever it does, I wish, that, I wish that this was video a little bit so that you could have seen what you missed because Amy is sitting wrapped in M's Minnie Mouse blanket and was wrapping it around her face and telling me that she was the incognito bandito. I am. I'm the incognito bandito. <laughs> so that's what you missed. <laughs> Um, but to circle back to what we were talking about, I think that yeah, when you started seeing your current therapist, your having people was less the problem and it was more how people in your life were responding to you having people that you were actually seeking help with. Yes. And so like in some ways, yes, you having people was impairing that relationship. But in other ways, it wasn't really you having people. It was you having trauma and the Mm. other person not knowing how to wrap their head around that. Yes, I would say.
0: (laughs) Yes. From my experience. As you wrap in a blanket. Yes. Um, Is that it was more the stuff we were struggling with from our past and how to support the different the trauma of the different pieces and not necessarily to support the different pieces. I would agree. So, because I feel like some of the people were, some of the people that knew were able to get to know some of our pieces. But when those pieces started struggling with trauma is when the problems
1: happened. I would agree. That was a big, a big struggle. And I do think, um, before real long we want to do an episode where we talk a little bit about a little bit more about what it's like to be that support person and sort of some do's and don'ts and I don't know talking about some of the things I was afraid of at that time because sometimes people get like a little bit frozen with not knowing how to respond and yes it's really easy to be stuck in that place
0: and I I think they don't know what to do and then they're like oh I didn't do the right thing now what do I do and i'm going to say the wrong thing and i'm not going to do the right thing or i'm going to make it worse so then they do nothing Mm -hmm. which which makes it worse anyway which doesn't help and then yeah and then and then you don't talk about it and then it just never gets better
1: and all the problems yes all that so anyway so that is how the dsm conceptualizes did or and or DDnos and there's some other dissociative disorders in the DSM and we'll talk a little bit about some of those as we talk about some of the other like ways people experience dissociation in a future, in a future episode. Cause there's some different sort of labels for dissociation that I think if you understand those, it can help you understand the experience a little bit more. So yeah, do we, anybody over there have any other thoughts about this thought about this
0: item, too. So I feel like we summed it up as best
1: we could in an episode. And I will say, like, we didn't write the DSM, we are not the like renowned scholars that created it. We are definitely, definitely not diagnosing any of you. This is not medical advice.
0: Yes, I'm not, we're not saying. Um, we told you the five criteria, so if you meet them, now you have DID. No, 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 no. But Go, if you're it,
1: recognizing if yourself If you're hearing this, it and you're
0: thinking, oh, some of this might be me, maybe seek out some help mm-hmm. from, and, and do a research and make sure the person just doesn't like, oh, I have experience with trauma and dissociation, because uh-huh. I'm going to tell you a lot of people put that down and they don't know what they'd be talking about.
1: Well, or maybe they have experience with some trauma, but not necessarily the kind of complex trauma that goes along with DID. So a really good resource if you're looking for a therapist is the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation, the ISSTD. They're great. They have a lot of really good resources in terms of articles and things to understand DID and dissociation. They also have like a Find a Therapist feature. Uh, that you can hopefully find someone in your area that would be useful to you.
0: Yes, we will put a um, link, a hyperlink in the description of the episode to the ISSTD and to um, the DSM. Now, you can't access the full DSM without purchasing it for all the money. all of
1: the money. But
0: there is a website that like breaks down the basics. So that you can look at some of it, but you can also buy it if you really want it.
1: But it'll cost you, I don't know, two hundred dollars.
0: And it's something. it's big and
1: and dry, and dry reading.
0: But you can. There are good websites, so we can post one of those as well, so that you guys have some some resources.
1: And places like WebMD or like. Um, the Mayo Clinic, some of those places will cite the DSM in their descriptions of things too. So yes, that's also like a reasonable, reputable place to find those criteria if you wanted to revisit them or learn more about them from someone else's perspective. Because as always, this podcast is from our perspective. It's the perspective of um, Ash and her parts, them, those people over there, their lived experience. It's from the perspective of my experience of living with them and knowing them, and understanding their system, and then my experience as a therapist, who, while I definitely do not know all the things, there's so many things I want to know, I know some things, and so talking about kind of what I've witnessed, and what my understanding is, so please don't, like, send us an angry email, and tell us that we suck, because you understand something differently, but please do send us an email.
0: Yeah, I mean, if there are people who have experiences and want to send emails and share their perspective i think at some point we could do like a like
1: listener experiences
0: or or stories where we share um just what some people have to say about their experience and maybe how it's different or how it's the same um because it could be cool to touch on Mm -hmm. um just some of the bigger concepts we've shared and how that's different um for some people. And again, this is, this is our lived experience. So I I would say I'm an expert in my own lived experience and what it's like for me to live with it, but I don't know what it's like for anyone else. And I, um, I am in the field of mental health. So I do know also know things from like a therapist perspective. Um, and I have a license and those fun kind of things. But it doesn't mean that I like the end all know all and that like everything we say on here is going to
1: apply to you
0: yeah because I don't personally know you and I I'm not diagnosing you or telling you what you should or shouldn't do this is just from our perspective and you know take that for what it's worth but
1: it's not and I think one of the things that makes treating DID and complex trauma in general so incredibly complex which is also one of the things that makes me love working with it so much is that everyone is so different. And so like, just even the, and I haven't known that many systems you guys, but I've known at least a good handful. Um, Every one of them is so different in the way they function in the type of people they have the way they interact, how they experience the symptoms. And so your experience may be very similar or very different but there's just tend to be some overall themes or overall like problem areas Mm -hmm. that are commonalities. And so we're talking about the way we see and have experienced those as therapists, as lived experience, as support people, whatever. Um, And we'd love to hear how you guys have experienced them either as a therapist, a support person or lived experience. Like anyone is free to write in. I don't want you guys to think that like the only people we want to hear from are other people with a similar diagnosis Um, We want to answer questions. We want to hear feedback from anybody. And that includes you therapists, because I will tell you, this was not even mentioned in grad school. It was not a thing we learned about at all. And so when I had my first client that presented with some DAD symptoms, I was like, "Mm, what now? Like I knew a lot about it from like my own reading, but no one had ever taught me what to do about it. So there is absolutely no shame in a therapist writing in and asking a question or saying like, I don't know what to do. And you don't have to say you're a therapist. No.
0: You can just write in and say, like, hey, I was wondering about this. Or Mm -hmm. I wanted clarification on this. And we'll address it the best that we can. Mm
1: -hmm. And if you are looking for a therapist and, like, want to say, like, hey, I'm in this part of the country. Do you have any recommendations of um, or know any connections in this area or anything like that? If we do, we will happily point you a direction. That's not to say we endorse anybody in particular but if we can share a resource we always will so yeah I think I think we're done
0: I think we're done um, you can send us a message on some of the podcast platforms otherwise as always please please email us we would really love to hear from you it's my puzzle pieces podcast at gmail.com it'll be in the episode description Um so that you can get it there as well. And we really look forward to hearing from people and to continue doing our thing.
1: You guys, there's a very big spider on the wall right above us.
0: Ah,
1: <laughs> oh, it's moving. I know. I didn't see
0: it before. I thought it was like a nail in the wall. I didn't realize that was the freaking spider.
1: It's been sitting out of reach for most of the night, and it just crawled down ah, to where it's like, get it. I don't know if I can reach it. Well, okay. Well, if you never hear from us again, it's because it the ate spider. us. Yes. And then my dog. All right, you guys, good night.
0: Good night.